All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Is that a great way to start a Sunday morning or what? Is that awesome? Man. I'll tell you what, you got, you, got, you got three young guys in their 20s saying, I want to make a commitment to following Jesus, being baptized by three other guys, young guys in their 20s. I mean, if that doesn't give you hope about the future, I mean, is that awesome? And that, man, I love that. Man, I love that. Um, I'll tell you what, I'm glad you're here today. It's a big day for us in so many ways. It's Palm Sunday. We've already had three baptisms, and it's also our first big give day where we get the chance to bring our biggest gift. And uh, we're also going to announce, we're going to announce our, our, uh, our total number for our one initiative. So a lot of great stuff's going on. Here's, I'll tell you what, here's, I want to begin with a little experiment. It's kind of a group exercise. And so what I'm going to ask you to do in a couple moments, I'm going to ask all of you to stand up and then change seats. Okay. And I know it's going to seem like an inconvenience, but I want, you to, I want you to kind of experience something with me. And what you're going to have to do, and here's the guidelines, I want you to pick a new seat. You can't by, be sitting by anybody you came with, um, and you can't by, sit by anybody you're currently sitting with right now. You need to find somebody you don't normally sit with, somebody maybe you don't even know, a complete stranger. All right, now I'll make a couple exceptions. If you're here for the very first time, if you're here for the very first time, I don't want to completely scare you off. So you don't have to participate, all right? If you're holding a baby, if you're holding a baby, we'll let you, you're exempt. You don't have to if you don't want to, okay? And, and, and if, you have like a, if you have a walker or a cane, it's kind of hard for you to get around. If you'd rather not, you don't have to participate as well, all right? Um, but for the rest of us, we're going to give this a try. So everybody, stand up. Go ahead and stand up right now. Here we go. Stand up. We're going to find a new seat next to somebody you don't know. On the count, here we go. On the count of three. Ready? One, two. All right, hold it. Stop, stop, stop. I was just kidding. You can sit down. You know what? The, this is not meant to be this, but I think that was actually an experiment of extroverts and introverts. Look, all the extroverts are running around. Oh, right, new friends. All the introverts are freaking out, right? <laughs> what I heard when I first announced it, I kind of heard a, not from everybody, most was kind of a groan going, oh. I heard a whole bunch of people going like, oh man, the Baptists are awesome, but I wish I could leave now. Right? I'm going to leave now. Um, I want you to hold on to that because just the movement to a place sitting by a stranger, somebody I don't know, kind of makes all of us feel somewhat uncomfortable. And I want you to hold on to that, okay? I want you to hold on to that because we're going to come back to that in, in just a little bit. So hold on to that feeling, okay? We're wrapping up a series today. It's been a terrific three-part series called Uncovered. And if you haven't been here all three weeks, maybe you ought to go back and watch the videos or listen to the podcast. But we've been kind of dusting off, okay, and uncovering some ancient spiritual practices that are a huge help. We've been going back to this verse in 1 Timothy, and it says this in 1 Timothy, it says to train yourself to be godly, okay? And we've been really stressing, and this is so important. I hate to even end this series, and I got to make sure you get this. We've, un- we've uncovered this, that it's not enough just to try to be like Jesus. What we actually have to do is we need to train ourselves to be like Jesus. Because there's a big difference between kind of trying in the moment and then actually training ourselves on an ongoing basis. Let me, let me illustrate. Last week, I, I ran into an old friend. Hadn't seen him. Oh, it had been a few months. And when he walked in the room, I mean, the guy obviously was much thinner and looked like he was in much, I mean, looked like he was in great shape. And my first reaction, I, just, I, said, I said, Brad, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't help. What have you been doing? And here's what he said to me. He explained. He said, 
You know, Dave, I kept trying, these are his words, and trying to lose weight, but it never worked. So I got a trainer. This trainer has put me on a strict daily training plan, and he tells me, here's what you can eat, here's what you can't eat. He tells me, here's the exercise you need to do, and you need to do these every day. And then he added this, this training has made all the difference. There's a big difference between kind of just trying and then really entering into training. Let, let me brag just a little bit. Uh, I went to my son, Caleb. Uh, he's my uh, uh, 18-year-old. His conference indoor track meet on Friday. And I watched him run in the, what they call the 4 by 8 it's a, it's a relay, and he, run, he ran a half a mile. And during that half mile, he ran, he ran that half mile in two minutes, which is pretty fast, right? And... Um, but here's the thing I know about Caleb. He didn't just do that by trying. He didn't just wake up Friday morning and go like, you know what, I'm going to try to run really fast today. No, actually, I mean, for months, I mean, years now even. What does he do? Every day he runs and he trains. And because he's trained, he's able to do things that he wouldn't do just by trying. There's a big difference between trying and training. And here's what happens. So many of us, we think, if I just try, 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 try to think like Jesus... If I just try, try, try to, to, to live like Jesus, if I just try, try, try to love like Jesus, then maybe it'll work, but it doesn't. What we discovered in week one is that if we want to think like Jesus, we can't just try in the moment going, oh, I don't want to think those thoughts. We can't just say in the moment, okay, I want to think more like this. What we have to do, we have to train ourselves. And if you remember, we introduced the spiritual discipline of solitude. Solitude is how you train to think like Jesus. Then last week, if you remember, we talked about this, this, this idea of, uh, of, of living like Jesus. And if we just try to live like Jesus on occasion, resist the temptation, I want to live like Jesus, resist in the moment, or kind of be led by the Spirit in the moment, often it doesn't work. But if we train, if you remember this, we train by confession, confessing to God our sins, confessing to others, that training then allows us to live more like him. Through training, we can do things we'll never do just by trying. Well, now, a part of being like Jesus is also to love like Jesus. And so here's where we're going to enter into the, a, a new discipline. And Jesus gives us a big challenge. Here's the challenge he gives us in, in, in John chapter 13, 34. He says, a new commandment. Here's a new commandment I give to all of you. Any of you who are interested in following Jesus' ways, you love one another. And here's how I want you to do it. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All right, how many of you say, yeah, I love like Jesus? How many of you, I love like Jesus? Yeah, if you raise your hand, I'll call you a liar because you didn't want to sit by a stranger just a minute ago, right? <laughs> now, here's the thing, though. We can increasingly begin to love more like Jesus. And here's how we do this. Through the spiritual practice, let me introduce this word, and you say it after me, hospitality. Hospitality, okay? This is going to be something some of you haven't thought of, but I'm telling you, this is so, so important. The practice of hospitality, if you will practice this, it will actually train, it's great for other people, but it also will train you to be able to love the way Jesus loves. Let's get real clear about what hospitality is. Let's break this down. This word hospitality, when it's used in the New Testament, it actually, in the Koine Greek, it literally, it literally means the, the idea of, of loving a stranger. Loving a stranger. Marjorie Thompson in Soul Feast, she, she, she explained it this way. Hospitality is essentially an expression of love. It is a movement to include the guests in the very best of what we ourselves have received and can therefore offer to them. It's the act of sharing who we are 
as well as what we have. If you can only remember a phrase, remember this phrase. Here's the phrase. I love this phrase here. Hospitality. You know what it does? It turns strangers into family. Hospitality can turn strangers into family. And in the process, it'll transform you into a person who loves more like Jesus. Now, if we're going to get this idea of hospitality, we've got to get the idea of family. And what Jesus does is he totally redefines family. Different than I think that we think of family. All right, let's, let's try something here. I'll, I'll say the word, and you just go ahead and talk back to me, okay? What comes to mind? I say family, and you think what? Somebody help me out. Family, you think what? Brothers. What else? Parents. Kids. Okay? Those are typical things. We think of that. That's, that's exactly what I thought. Brothers, sisters, spouse, parents. We think we, okay, as, as Westerners, we think about the nuclear family. There's kind of me and mine, and then the, the next kind of ring after me and mine is kind of like me and my family. How many have heard people say in their priorities? Here's my priorities. God's first, family second, everything else is third. How many have heard that before? God's first, family second, everything else is third. I want, I want to kind of mess with you a little bit. Where do you think, where do we get that? Who taught us that? Did Jesus teach us that? Or maybe, have we been socialized through Western culture to think that way? Because if we take a look at how Jesus talks about family, look at this in Matthew, right in the middle of the story. Here's how he talks about it. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is talking to the crowd. His mother and brother stood outside waiting to speak, wanting to speak to him. Someone said, hey, Jesus, your mom and brother are standing outside wanting to speak to you. Here's what Jesus says. Who's my mother? Who's my brother? And then he points to his disciples, points to the people in his small group. And he says, here's my mother, here's my brother. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. All right. What is Jesus saying here? I mean, is Jesus kind of saying biological family doesn't matter? I don't think we can go that far because if you look other places in Scripture, I mean, he talks a lot about the importance of, the, 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 of a marriage relationship. He talks a lot about the importance of a father-son, a, a, a parent-child relationship. So he must be telling us something else, right? What's he telling us here? I think what he's telling us here is that what we have to have is a bigger... He wants to get inside our brain, okay, in this cranium, and he wants to expand our idea of family. He wants to dramatically broaden what you think of when you think of family. There's a guy named Stanley Auerbach, which he's a theologian. The name shouldn't mean anything to you. It does to me. (laughs) But here's what he says. He's a smart guy. Just trust me on this. To be a follower of Jesus is to be made a part of a brand new community in which the family is reconstituted. Here's this reconstitution, this redefinition. We are all children But now a community has been established in which we are all called to be parents, all called to be brothers and sisters to and for one another. In the church I grew up in, they had this this really weird thing. At least I thought it was weird as a kid, as a teenager especially. They used to always say brother and sister. Hello, brother Jim. Hello, sister Nancy. And I just thought that was the dorkiest, dumbest thing of all time. (laughs) It's just weird, right? I mean, why do you have to act so weird when I come to church, right? And then in the church, in the church, you know what we'd do? We'd sing this song. At the end of the church I went to, we'd almost, for a long time in the church, we'd always sing the same song. And it went something like this. It goes, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. It was kind of like a hillbilly kind of song. And, uh, 
And, but then in the, in the ver- chorus would go like, you may notice we say brother and sister around here. It sounds like a beer drinking song around here, but it definitely wasn't. I promise you that. Um, but, but as I thought about it, I'm going like, that was, seemed weird at the time, but maybe, maybe they got it right. Maybe they actually got it right. Because you know what? I'm hearing here. Jesus said, no, this is your family. Do me a favor. Turn to somebody near you and say, hello, brother. Hello, sister, appropriately. Hello, brother. Hello, sister. There you go. And here's the deal. What Jesus is doing, he wants to get inside your brain. He wants to dramatically expand your idea of family to say, no, this is family. And guess what? I want everybody. I want everybody to be in my family. That's what Jesus is saying. And here's why this is so important and we have to get this. Okay? We can't just stick to our Western understanding of family. It's kind of like me and mine. Okay? Well, we have to think, because if we don't think of it the way Jesus thought of it, here's who gets left out. Single people get left out. Widows get left out. Orphans, left out. Homeless people, left out. Refugees, left out. Anyone who talks different than you, they get left out. Anybody who looks different than you, they get left out. Anybody who didn't happen to live under the same roof as you for some period of time, they get left out. And what Jesus has come to do, he says, no, I want to give you a bigger and better idea of family than we currently have. And I want all of my children to someday find their way back to God and be a part of that family. And here's where hospitality is so important. If we will, every one of us in this room, man, this is great stuff. If we will, every one of us, practice hospitality, we can turn strangers into family. And if we'll do this hospitality over and over again, guess what? You know what it does for you? It helps you begin to learn to love just like Jesus loved. All right, so, so, so what does the Bible say about this practice of hospitality? Let's, let's dig into this here. I think it's very interesting. I think it's not what we typically think of when we think of hospitality. Okay, when we think about hospitality, I think we think about, we think about this. We think hospitality is, let's go to the next one. We think it's entertaining family and close friends. Okay? Those are the people we invite to our table. Those who make up our guest list, our, our you know, guest list on birthdays and holidays and special occasions. But hospitality, as described in Scripture, is about this. It's about welcoming strangers and those in need. It's really about welcoming strangers and those in need. Look what it says in Luke 14. Straight out of the Bible here, okay? Hey, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, because if you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. Anybody can do that. You're supposed to be Christ followers, right? Followers of Jesus. It's a different way. Here's what you do. But when you give a banquet, you invite poor. You invite the crippled. You invite the lame, the blind. And guess what? You'll be blessed because you'll learn to love more and more like Jesus. And here's the key. And I, I don't think Jesus is saying, you know what? I'm taking my brother-in-law off the invite list to Christmas. <laughs> okay? Not, not, not inviting Aunt Susie to the, the, the family picnic. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, no, I want you to broaden your invitation list. And here's a great question for everybody in this room, okay? Ask yourself this. Who do you know that needs a family? Who do you know that needs a family? Um, One of the things we do around here is when when we write write these messages, um, we actually do it as a team. We have a whole teaching team. And the point person on our teaching team is Tammy Melching. And uh, Tammy's given this talk in another one of our community locations. And uh, 
she um, was brutally honest. And I, just, I said, hey, can I use your part of this talk because it's so candid? And sure. So here, here's what she wrote in this message to community. She said, I'm going to get a little vulnerable with you here. And I want to speak on behalf of many people in our church that are just like me. Single. As a single adult who lives far away from my nuclear family, there are times that I really need a family. In particular, many of the lesser holidays, they can be lonely times for singles. I travel home for the biggies like Thanksgiving and Christmas, but I've spent many a Labor Day or Fourth of July all alone. Several Easter's, I've left the gathering of my Christian family at church and drove through a Wendy's drive-thru to spend the rest of the holiday alone. She said, it kind of stunk. Holidays tend to be a time when most biological families gather together, and again, that's a good thing. But there, are time, but there are many people sitting in this room right now who can relate to what I'm saying. What if? What if every nuclear family in our church welcomed a single person or an elderly person or a college student or a new family or a single mom and her young kids who join them in their home and around their table? There's this verse in Psalm 68 in the Old Testament, David speaks, and it's like he, he just kind of summarizes the whole thing. Look at this. Here's what God does, and he wants us to be a part of this. God sets the lonely in families. Isn't that beautiful? God sets the lonely in families. Okay, what else does this practice of hospitality mean? Well, I think sometimes we think that this practice of hospitality, we think it means this. We think it means a beautiful home and a gourmet meal. <laughs> All right? But it's not. It's not about entertaining. You know what hospitality is? Here's what it is. It's about sharing life. In the book of Romans, Paul writes these words, and he just says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Because here's the thing, and particularly in our setting here, it may be different in other parts of the world, but particularly here in our part of the world, most people don't need a meal or need shelter. Some do, yes, and we need to help them. But what even more people need is just a place to belong. Just a place to belong. One of my friends um, has a great idea for practicing hospitality. He's actually, he, he's a single guy. And so then wait, instead of waiting on someone to invite him in, he's taking the initiative. And he does something called a grilled cheese party. A grilled cheese party. He opens up his home and he invites people. He says, hey, you got to come. You, you come and, you, and bring three things. Here's the three things you bring. Bring a unique type of bread, a strange type of cheese, <laughs> and some kind of topping. And he fires up his griddle, and then they have a contest who can make the world's greatest grilled cheese sandwich. It's not gourmet, it's not five course, but it's hospitality because it's shared life. And when that happens, people find belonging, but guess what? In the process, my friend, because he practices this, he's training, he begins to learn how to love more like Jesus. You know, I think something else we think about when we think about hospitality. We think hospitality is this. We think hospitality is a sacrifice, don't we? We think it's a sacrifice. And, that, and it's partially right. It's partially right. Because right? we, we have to give of ourselves, we give of our time, we give of our, our space, we give of our comfort. Um, and that's why Peter, one place in the New Testament, he says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. All right? And, and I, I have a confession. I mean, Sue's pretty good at this. Okay, my wife's pretty good at this. She'll say, hey, we ought to have people over. And I'll be like, oh, really? Jeez, we have to clean up. And, uh, you know. and what am I doing? I'm grumbling, right? Okay? And then once we have people where I like it, okay? But it's just it's the process to get to it. I, I, and Peter said, no, you know what? Offer hospitality without grumbling. And so, yeah, there is some sacrifice. But you know what? In the end, what it really is, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. 
It's a bigger blessing. One, one of the most hospitable families that I know are uh, the Gutierrez family. I think we've got a picture of them here. And uh, this is Flo and, uh, and Shannon and, uh, and Mateo. And uh, they go to our Montgomery campus. And when you're using your passports to check the other campuses, you can, you can get to meet them. Well, a year ago, they took this practice of hospitality to another level. Uh, there was a single mom from community, uh, Crystal, and she just had a baby. Uh, and staying in her current living situ- situation just wasn't really an option. And so what Flo and Shannon did is they offered her their guest room. And now it's been about a year. And Crystal and Gabriel are still part of their family. And I asked, uh, I asked Shannon to describe her experience. And here, here's what Shannon said. She said, we've always enjoyed gathering people in our home. So when we were in the market for a new house, even though it was just the three of us, we wanted something that was good for groups, small groups, and also came with four bedrooms. So we took on a big house with lots of renovations. Flo and I talked about how this house was such a blessing, and we really saw it as a gift from God. We wanted to be open to how God would want to use it. So when the opportunity came up to offer a place for Crystal and Gabriel, we really didn't think twice about it. You see, I grew up in a family where we always had different people living with us, single moms, refugee kids, you name it. So this was not foreign to me. But what I didn't realize was what a blessing this would be for our family. Our son, Mateo, just turned eight, and for many years, he's asked for a baby brother or baby sister. He loves babies, and he loves little kids. So when we asked him about how he felt about Crystal and Gabriel staying with us, he was thrilled. He has loved having baby Gabe in our house, and he counts both Crystal and Gabe as family. And I am so thankful for this experience and how it's impacted our family and our son in such an incredible way. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? That is awesome. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. And it's a a challenge to us today, okay, 2016. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, all right? Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people will be shown hospitality, uh, have been shown hospitality to angels, angels without knowing it. Did you notice what that little guy's name was? What was his name? Kind of interesting, huh? Maybe he was an angel. I don't know. Right name. Here's the thing. Let me give this to you, people. I'm telling you. If you have a place to live and you have food to eat, you can change the world. You got a place to live and you got food to eat, you can change the world. You can change the world through hospitality. And in the process, guess what? God's going to train you in a way so you're going to love and love and love more like Jesus. Here's a specific challenge I have for you. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating Easter as a church family. And and as you begin this week, I would challenge you, pay attention around you. Who do you know that needs a family? Who's a stranger? Who could you invite in next Easter? Here's here's two challenges. I I would encourage this. Find that, whoever that person is for you, and I'm, I'm just praying that God brings that name to mind or that, or that face into an image for you. Um, as you. As you walk out, maybe grab one of these invitations. We've got some of these invitations, these big invitations. Grab one of these and give it to a friend and say, hey, why don't you come to church with me next Sunday? Okay, we've got, we got a whole bunch of services next Sunday. Why don't you come to church with me? And then after that, why don't, why don't we do Easter, Easter dinner together? And it could be at your house. It could be out to eat. It, it could be at Wendy's. The point is you're doing it together. And it might be somebody you already know. It might be an acquaintance. 
Might even be somebody sitting in this room. I want you to think back to where we started this talk. All right? With the frightful proposition that you're going to have to move and sit next to someone you don't know. (laughs) A stranger. Here's what I want you to imagine for a moment. Imagine for a moment what it would be like to walk into this room on a Sunday morning and you know you could sit anywhere next to anyone and it would feel like family. And it would feel like family. See, that's Jesus' vision for this place and this church and his followers. Jesus' vision is that we be able to look on any face in this room and see brothers and we see sisters, we see family. And not only would it mean that we are loving one another the way Jesus loves us, but he goes on and he says this in the rest of this verse. He says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm telling you what, if we truly live out this vision of us as a family, okay, that's constantly including strangers into this family, I'm telling you, that, that is the thing. I'm telling you, more than anything else, and it's not that hard, that more than anything else, that's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. And we, we couldn't stop. We couldn't stop, okay, the numbers of people that will find their way back to God. And if you thought it was awesome seeing three people baptized, I mean, we, we, we'd have 30 or 300, I mean, every week if we would do this, every one of us in this room. So here's the deal. Let's train to love like Jesus by practicing hospitality. All right, are you guys in? Come on, give me something. Are you in? I'm telling you, we can do this one. This one we can do, all right? Let's do it. Let me pray, all right? Father God, I want to say thank you that um, in, in such an interesting reciprocity of kind of practice, if we do something for you, it comes back to us. We do something to advance your kingdom like hospitality, but it comes back to us and, and helps us to learn to love more like you. Thank you for being such a good God in that way. Lord, I ask that for every one of us, let, it, let, that, let that not slip past us, knowing that, that if we have a place to live and we have food to eat, that we can change the world, that we can change the world. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.